The information in this podcast is educational in general in nature and does not take into consideration the listener's personal circumstances. Therefore, it is not intended to be a substitute for specific individualized financial, legal, or tax advice. To determine which strategies or investments may be suitable for you, consult the appropriate qualified professional prior to making a final decision. Hey everyone, welcome back to another episode of In the Market Trenches. I'm Eric Fury. I'm with Gary Reby. We have a special guest for you today. Uh, if this is your first time tuning in, remember you can check us out anywhere podcasts are available. You can check us out at inthemarkettrenches.podbean.com. You can check us out at snn.network or we're on the SNN YouTube channel. That's youtube.com slash snnwire. Gary, good to see you. I'm even more excited about the guests that we have. Uh, we have Mark Vanderwell. Uh, you may know him as Googie online. Googie, welcome. Thank you very much. So uh, Mark is, uh, I think, when I describe Mark to people, I tell them that uh, he's one of the best uh, sort of small micro investors I've, I've ever had the pleasure to meet. So we're really happy to have you on here today, Mark, uh, and uh, sort of Talks talk about some experiences and some things like that, and uh, um, you know, Eric and I joke that when we go to these events, it's sort of like walking into the Star Wars cantina, and we're sort of looking for Han Solo, and uh, you you were one of the Han Solos that we found. So, um, that's, that's, I hope that's well, I'm not pleased to be much. on. Good, good. So. Let's, uh, Eric, where do you want to start? Yeah, and so, I, Mark, I think it was pretty interesting before we uh, before we press record on this this podcast today, you had an interesting idea of what you wanted to talk about before you jumped into a story. So uh, let's let's dive right in. What were you what were you kind of suggesting and thinking about? Because you know the the idea of this podcast is we want to talk about war stories. Everyone is so happy to talk about their success stories, but we want to focus on kind of what went wrong? How did you vet the ideas? What did you do to due diligence? How did the idea play out? And what did you learn along the way? You kind of took a step back, right? And you looked at overall, like what are some themes when you're in these losing positions and how do you change that that losing mentality or how do you identify that you're in this this tough tough mentality after a, after a tough loss? Yeah, when people lose money, they get really stupid. I mean, irrational. <laughs> Some of my experience, myself included, um, and there's different reactions people have when they when they lose money on investment. Um, I have one friend that I used to work with quite a bit, and if we had a stock that cut in half. He's going to find some reason that he's going to double down. Mm. And I'll tell him, boy, that was really bad news. We really shouldn't do that. And he'll be back a couple, three days later. He'll have some reason that he's going to double down. And I guarantee you, in the end, he will double down. And then pretty soon he'll calculate what his new average cost is, right? Mm -hmm. So, in, And when he calculates the new average cost, now he's only down 25% instead of 50%. And he feels a whole lot better about it, right? <laughs> So, so this is completely stupid, irrational, right? What yeah. you should make the, the decision based on what the situation is now. And the fact that you bought it at double the price shouldn't cause you to buy now, but it, but it does in his case, right? So myself, I'm, I'm bad too. When, when I have a stock cut in half, I'm stunned into inaction. 
I'm just in shock <laughs> that I've lost all this money. So what I tend to do is just clam up. I'm not going to do anything. And in fact, I don't even want to listen to the, the conference call. <laughs> just, oh, I'm just, I don't want to think about this stock. I don't want to look at this stock. Um, and of course, this is also completely irrational. Maybe you should double down, right? You know this company well. You've done all kinds of work on it, and now it's available at half the price. And you won't even take a look at it because you're so embarrassed that you just lost a bunch of money. But total stupidity, right? <laughs> um, and and I gotta tell you, how are you assessing the company? I mean, usually, typically, you don't wake up in microcap land and the stock is cut in half without a reason. Right. There's usually some sort of a catalyst. That leads well, there's a bad earnings report or some kind of news came out, right, that the market perceives as negative and probably is negative. Right. So you just need to reassess with the new information. Is this still an investment you want to be in? Is it is it so good now that you want to double down or is the new the new news, <laughs> whatever it is, you know, you need to make a rational judgment here. Do you find do you find it is it is it more of an issue? So you say like okay, it's down. You, you bought something that's cut in half, and you have all these feelings about it. Um, is that an indication that maybe the initial size of the position that you took might have been too big, or or you know, because what I found is that you know we we take varying position sizes on stuff that we're involved in, and sort of I size them based on how how much I, uh, I oh, we use a variety of different criteria on it, but like you know if if we usually go into it understanding that there's that what the risks are. And if those risks play out, you know, we sort of size it based on what we think uh, we'd be comfortable dealing with in terms of, you know, a, a loss in the event that those risks actually did, did make them make their way into the, into the sort of into the stock. So I'm just, I'm just curious in your, in your case, is it, is it something where, is it something on the position sizing side or is it just simply, you know, any size position it, it, you know, you see that kind of thing and it bothers you. Well, I, I do size uh, positions based on downside risk as well, right? <laughs> Same thing, but it doesn't make any difference. When one of my stock cuts in half, whether it's a big position or it's a little, I, I'm just going to clam up. I'm just, I feel so sick about that. I don't want to listen to the conference call. I don't want to pay any attention. And I kind of push that stock aside and I go think about something else. That's, that's what I've done historically. And, and it's cost me. It's, it's really been a disaster that I behave that way. Um, and let me just give you one example. Um, I bought uh, a company in like 2007, Diedrich Coffee, right? They were competing with Starbucks on coffee shops and stuff. And they also did Gloria Jeans that used to sell coffee in the mall. That was a franchise operation. Um, yeah. and, they, and they also... Well, they had this new business. They were selling these little single serve uh, coffee packets or something. It was new back in 2007. And I didn't really know what it was. They were going into office coffee machines or something like this. And, and that business was what was actually doing kind of well. And, well, anyway, uh, they weren't profitable, though, but they were kind of growing and I liked it. Um, so then... Yeah, the, in 2009, in the panic, financial panic, that stock went to 35 cents. Mm. Um, so I lost 95% of my money or 
something on this, right? <laughs> I mean, I paid a lot for it. Mm-hmm. Um, and here I'm sitting absolutely stunned that I just lost 90 some percent of my money on this stupid investment. Totally inaccurate. I stopped paying attention to the stock. It's like it's an immaterial position now. I don't even care. And, and I'm really not watching very much. I did notice there was an insider buy at 35 cents. Right. Did nothing. <laughs> well, uh, and then in the summer of 2009, that stock starts to take off. Right. Uh, and it, it actually runs in a matter of a, a few weeks from 35 cents to, to $8. <laughs> Well, so you wound up making back a lot of what you lost then. The plus some, yeah. It's interesting. Uh, I remember but, that. that but, I was, but I wasn't paying attention. I wasn't paying attention to the stock. I didn't really know what was going on. So this sucker runs like in a matter of a few days on crazy volume to $8. I'm like, well, this is those stupid day traders. And I sold it. Hmm. Well, <laughs> well, it turns out... <laughs> But those little single-serve coffee things that they were selling, they were selling the Green Mountain Coffee Roasters, and those were Keurig K-Cups. Mm-hmm. And, they, and, and they had market share, a pretty good market share in K-Cups, and they had a long-term renewable contract yep. on those K-Cups. Yep. So anyway, a bidding war breaks out, and about a year later, Diedrich Coffee sells at 35 bucks. In a buyout. Wow. <laughs> so it went from 35 cents to 35 bucks, and I didn't own it, <laughs> right? <laughs> and, and I owned it. I knew what was going on. At least I knew something about that company. And there was at 35 cents with insiders buying, and I'm sitting here stunned dead silence doing nothing. Doing nothing, right? So this is the kind of stupid, irrational stuff people do when they lose money, right? Different yeah. people do different things, but... The, the real stupidity comes from fear, not greed, right? There's stupidity from greed, too. But when you lose money is when you get really dumb. Mm-hmm. How long did it take you to realize that, uh, that you were pretty stupid after a big loss? Did you know that right away? Or do you have to do a self-assessment, you know, looking back at previous trades and say, yeah, I was just, this is my behavior. Well, quite a few years before I've seen enough, I've done this in other stocks too, right? And then I realize now that that's what I do. When I lose money, I just can't take it. I don't even pay attention anymore. And I don't want to think about it. I don't want to listen to the conference call. But it was some years before I had done that enough times that I realized that that's, that's what my behavior is. And, and it's really bad behavior. Yeah. yeah. There's some... We, we, we see a lot of investors come through our, we talk to a lot of different investors and a lot of times people's worst enemy is, is their own self. And um, so, I mean, so now that you know this, like what, how do you manage it? Yeah. So that's, that's what I want to offer. And this, this is not my advice. Um, this is an advice from Monish Pabrai. Um, so if you go on YouTube, he's got a, a presentation that the 10 commandments of investment management and it's a video and, and, and here's the good advice I think, right. <laughs> that I wanted to bring up and it, it particularly needs this advice to apply when you lose money. Um, so it's his commandment number three, 
thou shall accept that thou shalt be wrong at least one third of the time. Yeah. And the key word. You're sort of in the hall of fame if you're right, uh, if you're wrong only like 40% of the time. So. Yeah, that's exactly right. But the key word is, the the key word is thou shalt accept that thou shalt be wrong at least one third of the time. Mm -hmm. Not agree, not acknowledge that you've been wrong in the past, not admit that you'll be wrong in some hypothetical future, except that you are wrong now. The current stocks that you own, you love them. You've done so much work on them. You're wrong on probably half of them. At least a third of them, Monish says, you're wrong. You need to accept that right now. Yep. And when you do, (laughs) when the bad news comes, Oh yeah, I knew this was going to happen. <laughs> and in, instead of doing something stupid, you just rationally assess the situation and and do the right thing. And and this is such a simple idea, but for a young investor out there and I'm trying to teach my children who are all college age now how to invest, this is my advice to them. Just accept right now you're going to be wrong. Mhm. And 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 then when it happens, you can be rational. Right. Right. Yeah. What's the Mark Twain quote? It's not what you know that gets you in trouble. It's what you know that isn't so. Is what you know for sure that just ain't so. <laughs> That's right. Yeah. And so. Yeah. I mean, Eric and I are yeah. constantly asking each other ourselves, like, going, like, are we wrong about this? Are we right about this? Is what's going on in this with this this thing or the other? And it's always just like, it's good. To, you know, you, you mentioned, you know, you're going to be wrong about things. I think that. Having, knowing and accepting that going in is um, is way more important than people realize. Just so you behave better when that does go wrong, right? I, I, I've used my own bad behavior as an example, <laughs> and you you probably behave bad too, right? Oh, yeah. Most most investors they behave bad too. So I'm I'm just telling you, I'm trying to help your your listeners out there who are investors. Just figure it out right now. You're going to be wrong, and you don't have to wait 25 years before you figure it out. Like like it took me. Yeah, it's it's interesting when people experience loss. There's there's it's it's some people are are, are similar to what you've described, where they don't want to look at it or think about it. And there's other people who, like your friend that you described, who are willing to to double down. And some people are actually a little bit of both. And so what's interesting is, um, you know, most people have a loss aversion. And, but if the loss gets big enough, they actually start to seek risk. And so, and behave in more of like a casino type gambler's mentality. And so it's, it's interesting, like some people, like, I think you should, if, if, if you, if you, I, I guess what I would say is like, if you or your friend only have one approach to this, that may be even slightly better than somebody who has both approaches because yeah. <laughs> they're doing the wrong thing on the way down and then they're doing the wrong thing. You know, uh, they become risk seeking if it's, if it, it becomes large enough. And so I guess just be blessed that you only have one affliction. The fact that you have a loss in the stock should not affect any decision to buy more. 
or, or to sell more or to do anything more. You just need to assess the new situation at the new price with the new information and reassess it again. So my friend that always finds some reason that he has to double down, that's totally irrational. You should not behave that way. And you shouldn't clam up and ignore a company you know a lot about, a lot about that's now at a much better price, a much lower price anyway, just because you're shell-shocked. So, yeah. One of the things I heard, this was years ago, was uh, cost basis is not a valuation metric. And so there you go. I, I always think about that a lot. And uh, the other thing I think about is I have all these emotion, emotions towards the stocks that I own. They have none towards me. They, they don't know that I own them. They don't care that I own them. Um, <laughs> thanks, Producer Bobby. Uh, um, so I just have to keep that perspective in mind. Yeah. yeah. I, I would say that the, um, the sort of the other, the other thing about it all is, um, in addition to cost basis not being evalu evaluation methodology, um, you know, there's certain things that we get so involved in that we have to say, like, we can't be involved in this anymore because we just can't evaluate it objectively. Right. And so, like, we, we feel like um, there's we get to a certain point with certain things where it's just like it's just a stay away for us because, you know, we have so much history and so much emotional baggage associated with it that we can't. You know, we don't think we we don't think we're equipped to make a good decision. So how do you distinguish, uh, like, let's say you bought something that gets cut in half, you know, you've learned this behaviorally about yourself, that you're going to be, you've accepted that you're going to be wrong about some things. You, um, you know, are you, are you now trying to make an assessment about whether you should be attempting to buy more versus just moving on? And how, and how is that? Yeah, I'm trying to be better, right? So, I mean, the, the company that, that I want to talk about a little bit is, uh, it's rice brand technologies and it, it, it today is trading at about one third of what I paid for it originally. Okay. Um, so this is, this is really, really bad. Um, um, so, uh, but I have behaved better with this one, at least I hope. <laughs> so, so, uh, yeah, you just need to, to make a rational assessment at the new price. You know, should I buy more or should I sell what I've got or what should I do based on, based on the information? So, so walk us through Rice Brand. Full, so for full disclosure, you're a shareholder of Rice Brand. I am a shareholder of Rice Brand. A disappointed shareholder <laughs> of Rice Brand. Um, well, yeah. But so, so like walk us through, how did you initially find the idea? What did you like about it? How's it sort of unfolded thus far? And then sort of what are you doing now as you sort of manage through it? Yeah, so let me just give you a really, really quick what, what the company does, right? So it's, it's Rice Brand Technologies. Um, <clears throat> basically, here's the spiel. Um, man cannot live on bread alone, but he can live on just rice, right? <laughs> rice is this miraculous food. Uh, it's got carbohydrates in it. It's got fiber in it. It's got protein in it. It's got fat in it got vitamin E, it's got phytochemicals and metabolites that fight diabetes and cancer, reduces inflammation, it lowers your blood pressure, all this stuff is documented, right? 
Um, so what do we do in the West with this miracle food that supports people in Asia for many, many years eating nothing but rice because it's got everything you need? Well, we put it in a mill and we separate off the white rice and we eat that. And all that has is the carbohydrates. Mm-hmm. And all the good stuff is in the bran. All the vitamins and protein and fiber and all the healthy stuff is in the bran. And do you know what happens to that? I'm guessing they junk it or they feed it to animals. Mostly goes to the landfill. Yeah. (laughs) Some animals eat it. And and the problem is, is that uh, it goes rancid 24 hours after separating it from the white rice. Right. You break that part off and subject it to oxygen and 24 hours later it's rancid. So you can't use it. Right. So rice brand technologies is the originator of the patent in the 1990s that subjected the brand to simultaneous heat and pressure. And it stops the chemical reaction that makes it go rancid. Okay. And, and then the brand is shelf stable for a year. Hmm. Okay. So once they figured this out in the 1990s, they started a company. Um, and uh, it went nowhere. <laughs> in fact, I think it's gone bankrupt twice now, right? Um, the, the latest one is called Nutricia was the name of the company that went bankrupt in 2009 or 2010 or something like that. Got so, it. So, so this, this company, this stock though still has the label of rice brand technologies that's been through the process once or twice, or is, would they sell like, yeah, it's predecessors went bankrupt twice. Right. And rice brand technologies emerged from bankruptcy in like 2010. I don't remember the exact years. Okay. <clears throat> so, so basically you can stabilize this rice brand. It's this miracle food, but they haven't been able to find any way to make any money selling this stuff. Right. Okay. <clears throat> So they tried. I mean, they tried all kinds of things. Oh, we'll use it as a filler in bread, you know, in bakeries. And it puts all kinds of nutrition in there, right? If you want health bread, you can use it as a filler in sausage. You know, instead of soybeans, you you use rice bran in there instead. Uh, They tried to develop all kinds of wonderful things to do with this rice bran. Brew beer with it was one of the things. You can make rice beer, right? Mm -hmm. Um, It never went anywhere. (laughs) <laughs> it's a, uh, the only thing that they were successful at was uh, they sold it as horse food mm. and it, it's got all these vitamins in it that makes the horse really shiny. So, right. so, so, so right. horse owners, they like, they like this stuff. <laughs> it's such great nutrition that makes my horse shiny. It's, so they can sell it as that. Right. So that's a pretty small little market, but that's where some of it is gone. And and the other thing they managed to do was build a uh, contract manufacturing health food bar company. Okay. And some of those bars have rice bran put in them as an ingredient, right? And, and I think some of them don't. It's just a contract manufacturer of health food bars. That, that was really what it was. So those are the only two things that, that really ever amounted to, to anything. And the, the 
the stock, e even after it emerged from bankruptcy as Rice Bread Technologies in 2010, it never went anywhere, right? Um, just down, down, down as, as all this talk about all the wonderful things we're going to do with this rice brand that's so healthy never went anywhere. Okay, I have not owned the stock through all of this, right? <laughs> and, and I'm just watching from afar, actually. Um, in 2016, there's a proxy battle. And uh, the interesting thing is it's led by a couple of disaffected shareholders partnered with a bunch of food industry executives, experienced people in the food industry. Huh. That's interesting. Right. <laughs> that, I think that was summer of 2016, and they lost the proxy battle. Okay. But shortly after the proxy battle was done, they settled with the CEO. And actually, the CEO stepped down, and all these food industry executives took over the company. And they joined the board of directors and started operating this. Okay. Now I'm I'm intrigued. All right. <laughs> so look, I mean, this there's all this rice bran in there. It's a health food ingredient, for heaven's sakes, right? It's like a miracle superfood. It's being thrown away in landfills, and this company has the technology to save it. And then you got food industry executives taking control of the company. I'm pretty sure they know what to do with it. Right? right? This could really, really be valuable. So I'm really excited about it, but I'm still, it's too speculative for me. I still don't own it, even watching all this happen. <laughs> but I'm interested. And I could kind of figure out what these food industry executives were interested in. Because if you look at the patent filings and you look at all the press releases for Rice Brand, you could see that Around the 2013, 2014, 2015, they had developed new technology that would take that stabilized rice bran and separate the fiber from the protein and separate the soluble parts of the bran from the insoluble parts. So there's a, the new technology. I'm like, ah, these food industry executives, that's why they're after this now. Because now this can become a food ingredient, right? And in fact, the soluble parts, they put it in your Gatorade, right? Or Gatorade-like drinks, uh, health food drinks that are coming and you want all these vitamins and fiber and stuff in there. You take the soluble part and you pour it in there and you can make these new healthy drinks that are all the rage with the millennials. Okay, so I think I know what's going on <laughs> So, so I just have a clue what's going on here, but still, I don't own anything. Okay. And then, and they're not talking. They're not talking about what they're going to do with this company, right? So I'm only reading between the lines what I think is going to happen. <clears throat> and then they sold their contract manufacturing business. Okay. This is the only business that's ever made any money. Gone, sold, right? <laughs> and you look at the sales price that, and it was like around $30 million or something. And the company was trading for about $30 million. Okay. So there's okay. no there's, there's so, like a zero enterprise value company with a with some IP and, you know, some people yeah. might know something to do yeah. with the IP. 
that's exactly what I'm thinking. <laughs> so after they sold the company, that's it. I started buying, right? <laughs> um, and uh, so I got some shares. I won't say the prices, but uh, they they were cheap. Um, and I was early. And then they started talking a little bit about what their plans were. And the stock doubled from my purchase price. And what year? And I'm... 2018. Okay. Yeah, 2018. The the stock takes Blade off. Right? Market takes notice. Takes, market takes notice. A bunch of hedge funds get in it. What were the they insiders? Are, <clears throat> insiders are buying. So what was the what, what was the story? These folks were buying. Yeah. Well, I think it's just they weren't they weren't talking a whole lot, but they were starting to build a, a, a food business, a food ingredients business, and they, they actually even did some secondary offerings because they needed some more capital, um, and I think that got a little attention to the stock, right? Dory out a little bit that we're going to build a food ingredients business. Um, and you understand the economics here, right? We're taking something that we throw away. We pay someone to haul it to the landfill and we turn it into health food and sell it at a premium price. Mm -hmm. Right. Oh, okay. <laughs> and, and it was available for free, right? I have it for, I bought it for free just for the cash the company had on hand after they sold that business. Right. Um, so I'm all excited about it, of course. Um, and then, like I say, I was early because I'd been watching the company for a few years. Here's the plan. All right. I'll just tell you quickly. Um, first thing they needed to do, certify all their facilities to the highest human food standards that all these consumer packaged goods companies have to have. Right. <laughs> so if you want to sell to them, then you've got to have higher certifications. So that took some time and cost some money, but they started to do that. And that's relatively easy. Second thing was, if you want to sell to the consumer packaged goods companies, you've got to build a sales force that knows those people. <laughs> so we're going to hire a sales force, our own sales force to go to these CPG companies and sell products. Problem is you can't afford to pay for a sales force that only sells rice brand. Okay. So they went and bought another, uh, company in Minnesota called MGI Grains that sold ancient grains, mm -hmm. so barley and all these old ancient grains that are also health foods and go into health food bars. So they're just trying to broaden the product line for this sales force, right? So that's the second thing. And the third thing was they needed to buy a rice mill of their own. And the problem was, is that historically they had operated in a mill in Louisiana and one in California, but they didn't own those mills. They just put their ovens at the end of the line. Mm -hmm. And w when the brand came off, they would stabilize it and then they would try to sell the brand. And the problem was they couldn't get a reliable supply. Mm -hmm. They only had brand coming off the mill when the mill decided they wanted to run. And right. if you're going to try to, to put this as an ingredient into a consumer packaged goods company, you've got to have a reliable supply that you control. So if it's in the recipe, then you've always got to have it. So like, Oh, we need to go buy a mill. So they did. <laughs> so they bought a mill um, in Arkansas. Uh, Arkansas is where about half the rice is grown. Um, and uh, it's called the golden Ridge mill. 
and they bought it for all like $10 million or something. And then they were going to immediately upgrade the capacity. We want a massive mill, <laughs> a massive mill. Cause we're not fooling around here. All right. The total amount of rice brand that's available in the United States every year is $800 million. All right. Now this was a 30 million market cap company. All right. <laughs> and there's 800 million of this product. And you're the only company that can save it. Right. So I understand why everyone's lusting over this company. I was lusting over it too. So anyway, we go and we buy that mill and we're going to upgrade that to huge capacity and we're going to start running the mill ourselves and controlling when we mill it so we've got a reliable brand supply and then our sales force is going to go sell it to all the big consumer packaged goods companies. And later they disclose that their operating margin on that brand is like low teens. Right. <laughs> so it's high profit stuff, as you would expect. It's a throwaway thing that we turn into health food. Right. Wonderful. I'm going to get rich. I am so brilliant. And then all hell starts to break loose. Uh, so. <laughs> so, so they, they, uh, they bought the mill uh, from the owner, the seller, and he agreed to stay on and operate the mill. But immediately they're in a fight with him and they fire him. <laughs> and they actually sue him then for misre misrepresentation of the sale contract. And there's actually a legal settlement or something. Um, <laughs> now, the CEO of this company was an analyst at a small cap firm in Minneapolis. So I doubt that he knows a whole lot about running a rice mill. And he just fired the guy that does know. <laughs> that, 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 was, that sort of worries him. So you hope he goes and hires someone that does know how to run it, right? <clears throat> um, and, but it turns out he, he didn't. <laughs> so all these upgrades to the mill they were going to make, a year goes by and they can't get that stupid mill to run. <laughs> well, with all the new equipment they and they're going to double the capacity and the stupid thing is not running and gosh we have to go do another capital raise because this is taking way longer than we thought so they did a capital raise december of 2019 at a dollar 25 the stock had been at 350 right <laughs> um so not so good the only good thing is and all these capital raises the insiders are participating like crazy they're, they're true believers, right? They're buying all these offerings. So I'm still like, we're fine. We're fine. And then, then COVID strikes March, 2020, mm -hmm. not, not to worry, not to worry. This is an essential business. It's food, right? They don't shut down and there isn't any coronavirus in Arkansas anyway. Right. So they keep running. Everything's fine. Everything's fine. But the problem, they have entered into contracts to deliver milled rice. And there's a run at the grocery store on anything that's non-perishable that stores like rice. So the raw rice that was available that they were going to buy so they could deliver on their contracts for milled rice. Oh, wow was gone wow. i mean the price shot up multiples it wouldn't go up a little bit the raw rice was just gone everyone ran on it 
And then they said they're locked into these contracts to deliver. That's not something Disaster. I would have. So as you were telling the story, that's not something I would have predicted up until the point that you told me about it. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Right. <laughs> I, mean, I feel like I was, I, mean, this, I was following along pretty well, and I still don't think I would have predicted rice shortage on the input. <laughs> and then, yeah, there you go. Right. There, there you go. This is just randomness, right? So I think if I went back 10 years and this all happened to me, and my stock went by the stock got killed this year, right? I mean, it's, it's down at. 50 cents. It got down to 42 cents in October when there was tax loss selling. It's been rallying here the last week or two. It's back up to 58 last I looked this morning or something. Um, but guess what? I tripled my position at 50 cents. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so I've learned. I didn't ignore. I didn't put my head down. I assessed the situation. And the way I see it is Look, they had a problem getting the mill to run. By the way, they've fired the CEO. They've replaced all the people operating the mill. They're trying to ramp it back up right now. The big losses they took because there was a run on rice, well, gosh, I mean, this is a fluke thing, right? This isn't like a, a problem that's going to persist. So basically, the story to me is the same as it was when the stock was at 350 but right. now it's at 50 cents let's just say that you've 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 learned your lesson and you've in, you've increased the position because you're you don't think the story's changed right right yeah that's it wow wow that's quite a story <laughs> yeah it's crazy right but but this this kind of crazy stuff will happen to you. <laughs> you know, it will. Now, this was a speculative position from the beginning, right? I mean, I right. described what the situation was. The company's been around for 25 years. They've never made a penny. It's just right. things are changing. Things are changing. Very interesting. The upside is 10 times, 20 times, right? If they actually start saving the $800 million of rice that's available, rice bran that's available in the United States every year. This company can grow for years and years and years and years and years if they get, get their act together. And there's some, what I thought were smart people driving it all. Um, so, so I love the situation. And so in hindsight, what would you say the lessons learned here are? I mean, this is, you really came out of left field with the, uh, shortage on the input here i i wasn't like gary i wasn't expecting that so i mean what what's the what's the takeaway on this my takeaway is that there's all kinds of things in a in a company in an investment that you cannot possibly predict or foresee it's just randomness and it's going to happen to you that some bizarre bad thing is going to happen on some of your stocks. It's going to happen. So that's why Monisha's provides advice. Please accept, accept that bad things are going to happen on some of your investments. Right now, accept it so that you can be rational when it does happen. Yep. Yeah. So it sounds like you've sort of taken your experience in the past where, you know, you've had positions that haven't worked. Maybe you felt like you should have been adding to them, but you didn't have the sort of stomach to do it. Emotional strength, right, to do it, yes. Um, and you've sort of worked on 
and I would say in this instance, uh, sort of adding that as a as a tool to the toolkit is is the ability to you know add to the position if something crazy has happened, but the fundamental story, in your opinion, hasn't changed. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that was my problem was that I would not add. I wouldn't even look at the company anymore. Other people do other stupid things, you know, when the stock is down, like double down no matter what. <laughs> so you just need to stay rational. And so I think if you understand that there's a lot of randomness, there's a lot of randomness. And don't take it personally when something bad happens. <laughs> it doesn't mean you're stupid. It doesn't mean you're incompetent. It's doesn't mean any of these things, right? There's just a lot of randomness. So you just have to react to when, when the random things happen. Right, right. And leave yourself some capacity to, to increase the position size if you, if you feel like things haven't changed and uh, you know, it's the fundamental story remains intact. That's you know, yeah. for us that we- But when they, when, they cut in, when they cut in half, then you have <laughs> capacity, right? You can double your position. That's just back to its original position size. <laughs> so but that's the good news is that you can't have more if, it, if, it, if you need to, right? Right, yeah. I think, for, I think for us, it's sort of, when we look at things that we're involved in, it's sort of, what's a responsible position size for us in terms of some of these things? And so, you know, we sort of start, we sort of tend to think about them a little bit that way and uh you know and and how much do we want to be involved you know how how much do you want to be involved and how much do we want to add to the involvement and, and what's the you know what's what's the brain damage cost of continuing to be involved yeah because some of these it could just act as a distraction to other ideas or to a missed opportunity yeah i think the more common problem is the problem that, that i think my friend that he would always double down Right. <laughs> and that uh, usually when things are going against you, when things are not going to plan, you should be biased not to do it, right? <laughs> not to add to your position. That's my opinion. But you also have to stay rational. And sometimes you do need to add. You, you have to look at the merits of the situation. Well, I think it's I think it's helpful in investing to start with sort of the null hypothesis being that the market has it right. I think is the is the most useful sort of and to re, sort of reject the null you need to prove it wrong and that's a high bar I think it should be a high yeah bar. it is the, the market's collective opinion is a lot of smart people right and you really think that you're smarter than the market um, and you know sometimes you are and sometimes you're not so yeah totally yeah. All right. Well, that's interesting. Um, whenever you're involved in something, we always find it pretty interesting, and we always uh, we always make sure that we take a look. Uh, we 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 are we're completely unfamiliar with rice brand technologies, but um, maybe it's something we'll read up on uh, after you've at least to learn more about the adventure as it happened. I, I would. We say. have the backstory, so thanks for the back. <laughs> thank you for the backstory. Yeah. Any uh, any parting yeah, thoughts? Uh, yeah, no, I, I, that's it really. It's just, um, I, I like Mo, it's Monisha's advice I, and I like it. So that was, that was my lesson that I'm trying to help people with. Listen to Monish. Don't listen to me, but listen to him. He's right. 
<laughs> well, for us and for purposes of our podcast, everything is for informational purposes only. So it's, uh, you know, uh, we're not we're not giving advice here. Mark, I really appreciate you being on the episode. Thank you so much for sharing the story. Uh, it's good to catch up with you. Thanks so much. Uh, I really appreciate Thank you. Um, again, anyone that's checking us out for the first time, we're available anywhere podcasts are available. It's in the market trenches.podbean.com. It's snn.network. You can check us out on the SNN YouTube channel, youtube.com slash SNN wire. I'm Eric. This is Gary. Thank you, Mark, for, uh, for joining us. And uh, we'll, we'll talk with everyone soon. Thanks, Mark. Thank you. The information in this podcast is educational in general in nature and does not take into consideration the listener's personal circumstances. Therefore, it is not intended to be a substitute for specific individualized financial, legal, or tax advice. To determine which strategies or investments may be suitable for you, consult the appropriate qualified professional prior to making a final decision.